Blog Talk Radio. Mysteries on the BookSpeak Network. I'm Sherry Knowlton. I write the Alexa Williams series of books, Dead of Autumn, Dead of Summer, and Dead of Spring. I'm currently working on Dead of Winter. Hi, I'm Jody West. I write the Carlisle Crime Cases. The, I have four in the series so far, Dying for Vengeance, Courting Doubt and Darkness, Darkness at First Light, and How to Die in Fall, featuring the homicide detectives Christopher Snow and Aaron McCoy. My newest book in the series, Things Strangled, I hope will be released in the fall of 2018. Sunbury Press and its mystery imprint, Milford House, publishes our mystery and suspense novels. Today, we're pleased to have author Maddie Dalrymple with us. Maddie writes suspense with a supernatural twist. And we're going to chat with her about her two suspense series featuring Anne Kinnear and Lizzie Ballard, um, her somewhat unique approach to self-publishing, and her new book, Snakes and Ladders. Maddie and I are both grads of Dickinson College in Carlisle, Pennsylvania, and we've done a number of author events together. Uh, But Joan is going to be the one to give you a complete bio on Maddie. Uh, Maddie Dalrymple is the author of the Anne Kinnear suspense novels, The Sense of Death and The Sense of Reckoning, the Anne Kinnear suspense short, including Close These Eyes and May Violet Spring, and the Lizzie Ballard thrillers, which have intriguing titles like Rock, Paper, Scissors, and Snakes and Ladders. Maddie lives with her husband, Wade Walton, their two Labrador retrievers, and their terrier in Chester County, Pennsylvania, which is for the setting for much of the action and the sense of death and rock, paper, scissors. They enjoy vacationing at Mount Desert Island in Maine, where the sense of reckoning takes place, and Sedona, Arizona, where the setting for much of Snakes and Ladders occurs. Maddie is also a member of Mystery Writers of America, Sisters in Crime, International Thriller Writers, and the Brandywine Valley Writers Group. Maddie, welcome to Milford House Mysteries. Thank you. I am very pleased to be here. Well, we're pleased to have you. Uh, first, let's start with some information about your mystery books. Um, you write two different series. One features Anne, am I saying it right, Anne Kinnear? Yep. Okay. Uh, and she's got a unique gift relating to the spirit world. Uh, so tell us a little bit about that series first. Sure. Anne has the ability to sense spirits. All my books have an underlying theme of what is it like to be a person with an extraordinary ability existing in the ordinary world. And I treat Anne's ability to sense spirits in a very practical and straightforward way. It's not a sort of woo-woo paranormal. Um, She has a consulting business based on her ability that's run by her brother, Mike. And 
her engagements involve contracts and advances and all the things that you would expect from any kind of professional consulting engagement. But as you can imagine, her ability and her consulting engagements uh, bring her into suspenseful situations. So that's sort of the backstory of uh, the Anne Kinnear novels and suspense shorts. And your new series, the Lizzie Ballard books, feature a protagonist with a different set of unique abilities. She's a psychic, right? In the Lizzie Ballard books, the special ability that Lizzie has that sets her apart from people is actually the ability to cause strokes. Oh. And it's an ability that was uh, came about because her mother, unbeknownst to her mother, was the subject of an experiment by a Philadelphia Fertility Clinic called Vivantum, and Vivantum has been experimenting with the attempt to create children who have telepathic ability, but in a sort of aberration of that experiment, um, Lizzie ends up with the ability to cause stroke, something that her family doesn't realize when she's very little, which is the the scene that starts out Rock, Paper, Scissors, and um, the early part of Rock, Paper, Scissors is her family's attempt to protect her from, uh, well, protect other people from being injured by this ability and to protect Lizzie from uh, Lizzie's ability from being found out by people who might want to take advantage of her. Then the majority of that book takes place when she's 16. She and her father are on a trip to New York City via 30th Street Station to see the Christmas sights, and everything sort of comes to a head with Lizzie's ability and their attempts to escape from the bad guys and uh, let let right prevail. And what about Snakes and Ladders? Snakes and Ladders is a continuation of Lizzie's story. So it's going to be a set of three. There's going to be Rock, Paper, Scissors, Snakes and Ladders, and then I'm working on Lizzie Ballard Book 3 now, which I hope to have out early next year, and um, continues her story in... Uh, Arizona, which is where um, a lot of Snakes and Ladders takes place, and uh, includes a lot of the same characters. If people enjoy the characters in Rock, Paper, Scissors, then I think they'll continue to enjoy them in Snakes and Ladders in Book 3. Okay. Well, your titles are really interesting. Um, The first one um, emphasizes the word sense. And um, I really like the second series, which refers to children's games. Um, And and I think that's a great way to differentiate the two series. But how did you come up with these titles? What what went into the the whole idea? Well, when I was writing the first Anne Kinnear book, which ended up being The Sense of Death, I had that idea in mind right away because it is about someone who is a censor, a spirit censor, and... The fact that the people are dead suggested the sense of death, and I didn't even realize that that was actually a quote from Shakespeare. There's a quote from Measure for Measure, the sense of death is most in apprehension. And when I found that out, I thought, oh, this is perfect because this is going to give me the the basis for the naming of that series. And so when I was working on the second book, I looked up Shakespeare quotes that had the sense of in it and came up with the sense of reckoning, which is from Henry V. And people may, may recognize this from the, the scene, the battle scene where Henry says, Oh God of battle, steal my soldier's heart, possess them not with fear, take them from them now, the sense of reckoning. And it just happened that 
as with the sense of death, that quote happened to be perfect for the theme of the sense of reckoning, which is a story about Anne sort of coming to terms with the fear she has that stems from the actions of the sense of death. And at that point, I had exhausted the reasonable sense of quotes from Shakespeare. But when I started publishing the short stories, I was able to find a lot of similar Shakespeare quotes about revenge or about death or about other themes that were appropriate to the stories. So those stories are Our Dancing Days and Close These Eyes and May Violet Spring, which are all various Shakespeare quotes having to do with the theme of those stories. And when I was working on the Lizzie Ballard books, I had come up with another Shakespeare quote name. I I really had no idea what I wanted to call the first Lizzie Ballard book. And I didn't really want to continue the Shakespeare quotes because I liked the idea of having those specific to the Anne Kinnear books. But I was sort of casting about a bit for the the right title. And my husband, in one of his reads of it, came up with the idea of rock, paper, scissors because there's a theme in that book that is about different types of power and how does one type of power best another type of power in the same way that, you know, paper bests rock and rock bests Uh scissors and so on. And so that was also really fun because it did open up this option of having the game names as as the theme of this series. And there are a couple of reasons why Snakes and Ladders is great for the second book, some more literal and some more figurative. And I have an idea, a similarly game-themed idea for the book the third book but i haven't really confirmed yet whether it's in alignment with the theme which i want to make sure before i announce the title of the third one Hmm. that's interesting because i i rely heavily on um uh, shakespeare too for my titles and and Mm -hmm. themes um and your home base is in chester county just right south of philadelphia but your books are set both there and another interesting locales, you know, like the Adirondacks and Maine and Sedona, and how do you incorporate these settings into your novels? Well, when I was first starting The Sense of Death, that book, I originally pictured as taking place in San Francisco. My sister used to live outside San Francisco, and I visited her a lot. She no longer lives in that area, but I felt like I knew it pretty well, and if I wanted to use it as a a basis for the story, I'd have information to do that. But the more I worked on it, the more I thought, no, I really want this to be set in my home base of Chester County. So the sense of death is very much set in Chester County, Philadelphia, Wilmington, Delaware, the Jersey Shore mm-hmm. areas in this vicinity. And when I was working on the sense of reckoning, I had had one of the characters in the sense of death live in Maine. My husband and I enjoy vacationing on Mount Desert Island, which is where Bar Harbor and Acadia National Park are, and one of the characters was from there, a character that sort of started out as a secondary character but became a very significant character, and I thought, well, I really want Anne to go to go to Maine to solicit help from this character named Garrick Mazur, and I loved doing that because it not only gave me an excuse to write about Maine, which I love, but also introduced the idea of a big fire that took place there in 1947 that burned a lot of the island, including some of the big old millionaires' cottages that were outside Bar Harbor, and that proved a great and suspenseful backdrop for the story. Hmm. And then just as my husband and I escaped from the Pennsylvania heat by going to Maine in August, we escaped from the Pennsylvania cold by going to Arizona in February. 
and we spend some time in Sedona, which is similarly a gorgeous location. And when Lizzie leaves the Pennsylvania area at the end of Rock, Paper, Scissors, and she's looking for a place to hide out from the bad guys, I thought Sedona would be a great place for her to do that. So that's where she ends up at the beginning of Snakes and Ladders. Oh. Hmm. Hmm. Um, So does Sedona really have a hum? I'm sorry? Have you heard about that, that there's supposed to be a hum in the rocks? It seems like that might interfere with her psychic or her, her abilities. Oh, no, I haven't heard that. Oh, okay. All right. Well, anyway. A home, H-O-M-E? A home in the rocks? Hum, like an H-U-M. There's supposed to be a hum in the oh, area. Oh, yes. Vibration. Yes. Well, it could, I understand. It could well interfere if <laughs> Anne went there, I think. Anne might have a problem with the hum. <laughs> okay, well, enough of the hum. Uh, let's talk about your self-publishing for a minute. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of authors, many, many authors who self-publish these days. But I find that um, the large majority of them use Amazon or some of the other self-publishing platforms that are already out there. But you decided to do something different and set up your own publishing house. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about why you made that decision um, and uh, what your experience has been? Has it been positive, negative, or somewhere in between? Sure. When I was finishing up The Sense of Death, I had the chance to talk with some traditionally published authors that I knew through the Brandywine Valley Writers Group, and I was asking them what support their publisher provided to them for their work. And in my conversations, I really felt as if the upshot for me was that the author was still required to do a lot of the work themselves in terms of promotion and marketing, and that the things that the publisher provided were also available to people who wanted to approach independent publishing in a business-like way. You know, editorial services, cover design services, proofreading services, all those things were available outside of a publishing house. And there are certainly benefits to traditional publishing, most, most obviously the fact that it's much easier to get into a place like Barnes & Noble or other chain stores through a traditional publisher. But really every other aspect of the publishing world is available to independent publishers and uh, you know, I publish through Amazon for print and for ebook, also for audiobook. I make mm-hmm. my books available to other platforms like Barnes and Noble and iBooks and Kobo through um, other platforms. So I feel like I have a reach, you know, a potential reach, I'll say, similar to what I would get through a traditional publisher. And I think that the other thing that I find really important about my approach is that. I think the people publishing books themselves have sort of gone through three stages. There's what I call the vanity press stage of, you know, many decades ago where people would just pay a printer to print their book and the printer really had no stake in whether that book was good or not good, successful or not successful. And then there was a period when the mechanisms like KDP for Amazon eBooks or Create Space for Amazon print books became available and and anybody could really print at will. And I think Mm -hmm. that that triggered a sort of initial surge of people just 
you know, digging their old high school journals out of their closet and publishing them or, you know, doing their covers on PowerPoint. And the, and the very ease of it was, um, you know, both a blessing and a curse because sometimes right. work got out there that really didn't have any business getting out there. And now I think we're in a third sort of phase of people being able to take publishing into their own hands, which I like to call independent publishing, because as with independent movies, I think that it reflects a much more business-like and professional approach to this, that you really do need to have uh, professionals in these specific areas like editing and proofreading and book design to make sure that your work is, is just as good as what's coming from the traditional publishers. And there's really no excuse for someone picking up a book. Someone should be able to pick up any book and not be able to tell whether it's traditionally published or independently published. And I think that's a really important uh, lesson for people to learn when they're thinking about independent publishing. And I think that also readers have become more sophisticated, so readers are helping to weed out the ones that don't match that level of professionalism. Mm-hmm. And we hear Yeah, also- there was a time, I, I know, when uh, I'd... Uh, go out on Amazon and download stuff on my Kindle, especially when I was going on trips. And uh, m- most of it was, was very good. But sometimes um, you you come across something that um, is, you know, lots and lots of uh, grammar problems, and you could tell that it had not really been edited uh, before it just got slapped up there on the Amazon platform. Yep, Exactly. Yeah, and we hear that you're also in the midst of writing the nonfiction guide to indie publishing based on that experience. Do you want to tell us about that? Yes, I'd love to. I am working on a book called The Craft and the Voyage of the Indie Author, Practical Advice to Achieve Your Creative Goals. And the approach I'm taking is that in my day job, I am a, uh, a project manager in a corporate setting. And oh. so I have a very uh, organized approach to my day job, and I need to bring a very organized approach to my publishing life as well, because I'm doing it in my spare time. And there were a lot of lessons I learned along the way that I felt were practical tips that helped me um, make the time for the creative endeavors of writing a book. So I include information in there like uh, tips for, for managing author appearances or tips for managing your storyline. I a believer that everything is better when it's in Excel. I have some information about how authors can use Excel to track the development of their plot and their characters over time. So as an example, I, I have Excel. a I'm you hate Excel. <laughs> but it's so powerful. I mean, there are things that I could I not possibly keep track of if it weren't for Excel. And especially with the Lizzie Ballard books, which have quite complex plot lines, I have spreadsheets that have all the characters across the top and all the chapters down the bottom. And in each cell, I put what does the character know and what do they feel at each stage. And that avoids me running into the problem where, you know, in Chapter 8, I describe a meeting between two people as if they've never met anymore because I've forgotten that they met in Chapter 2 and they already know each other. Mm-hmm. So if it weren't for, for a nice spreadsheet, it would be very hard for me to keep that kind of detail in mind. Wow, that is organized. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
So, so um, what's your um, just to follow up a, a minute on your on that um, sort of tips and advice book? Uh, do you have a, a plan for publishing it, or is it something that you're working at as you um, get an, an idea for a chapter or time, and you don't have a real deadline? It is something that I'm working on as ideas occur to me. I'm thinking that it would probably be ready for publication sometime next year. But you never know. I might have a big a big wave of ideas um, or a big drought of ideas. You know, it's always hard mm-hmm. to know. And that's actually another benefit of independent publishing, especially as someone who has a day job that if somebody, you know, of course I have to publish something called The Craft and the Voyage of the Indie Author independently. I can't very well take that to a traditional publisher, that would just be wrong. No. But if I took it to a traditional publisher and they said, oh, yeah, we're going to need that in um, January or, you know, we're going to need it in January of 2020 or whatever that might be, I just – I can't sign up for those kind of deadlines because my day job always has to take first priority. But I am hoping that by beginning of next year I'll have enough that it will be worthwhile to get that out in the world. Well, that makes sense. Um, although you seem pretty busy, um, you've got a podcast <laughs> of your own, right? Um, I do. We're looking, Joe and I are looking. Joe and I are looking for some podcast tips, so uh, maybe you can fill us <laughs> in on your approach. Sure. Well, I think that one thing that was very interesting as we were talking, preparing for this, is the idea that of this being live is very new to me. When I do my podcast, which is the indie author, which is interviews with fellow authors or other people who have advice that I think will be of interest to people who are either independently publishing or traditionally publishing. A lot of them apply in both scenarios. I'll meet with them, record it, um, and then send that recording off to uh, someone who does my audio mastering for me, and they add the intro and outro, as they call it, and clean up some of the audio and so on. And uh, then I I post that up on... um, iTunes and Stitcher are the two primary places where the Indie Author podcast is available. And that is something that I do have to squeeze in between other things. So I fear that the Indie Author podcast has been a little bit neglected over the last couple of months. But I'm hoping that once um, Lizzie Ballard Book 3 is further along in the process, I'll be able to return to that. Oh, that, that's good. Uh, we hope we hope we can you can see that realize that. Um, wh- wh- where to us where the readers can find your books and you know including your new one? It, it was it, has it been released? Snakes and ladders, and can Snakes listeners? And ladders, yes. mm-hmm, and yep. can listeners follow you on social media? Yep, I am on primarily on Facebook, also sort of secondarily on Twitter. So if you want to a- actually interact with me, Facebook is a better place to go. Um, there's also an opportunity on my website, maddiedalrymple.com, to drop me a note, which I love. Those are the primary places. Also on Goodreads, I also monitor Goodreads and have a presence there. Mm-hmm. And my books are available on Amazon. My e-books are also available on other online retailers like Barnes & Noble and iBooks and Kobo. Hmm. Well, thank you. We still have a little bit of time left, so um, I'd like to circle back to something that occurred to me as you were talking about your your two um, series, your fiction series, 
now that you're becoming both a fiction and a nonfiction author. Uh, <laughs> but on your fiction series, uh, there's this sort of supernatural, um, you know, the ability, special abilities, I think you called it, um, mm-hmm. people with special abilities. And what got you interested in that? Do you have your own special ability that we don't know about? <laughs> I do not. But the whole idea of what would of how people would deal with that kind of thing I just found fascinating. And when I was first thinking about what became the Ann Kinnear books, it really could have been all sorts of things. It could have been telepathy, it could have been I don't know, being able to teleport. Of course, being able to communicate or sense spirits has all sorts of good suspenseful uh potential there, so that's what I ended up landing on. But I think it's interesting to set that against the background of an otherwise completely normal world, because I think if any of us encountered that kind of situation, it would be something that could be life-changing. You know, if we were at work and we, we saw someone who was dead and we were the only people who could see them, it would really influence your your life in a very significant way. And I think there are lots of books that take those abilities and they sort of use them in a lighthearted way as a plot excuse or a plot device. Mm -hmm. But I think the idea of really thinking carefully about the psychological and emotional impact that that kind of situation would have on the person who has the ability is what really interests me in in both the Lizzie Ballard and Ann Kinnear books. Hmm. Well, Best of luck with the snakes and ladders. Well, thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, I think when you think about it, the uh, the other way that um, these types of abilities have been used a lot in in books is I don't know, sort of in a horror context. I mean, I'm thinking mm-hmm. Stephen King and Carrie, um, yep. and you know some of these poltergeist movies. Uh, so uh, it, it's it's actually a very different approach. Uh, for you to say, well, what would happen if just a regular about from the person, you know, from the person's perspective, if if they had these abilities, and and how could that change their life? I think it's a it's a much more interesting approach, as more as a sort of a foundational piece rather than for your series, rather than a plot device. Right, and it's not that there is – in fact, one of my author blurbs compares uh, Lizzie Ballard to Carrie um, and also to Stephen King's Firestarter, but I think it's important that there's that sort of psychological and, and, and fully realized character at the base of it, not the ability in a superficial sense at the base of the, of the plot and the story. So yours is a rational, practical approach. Um. You know, I never like to say because people people have have commented in such different ways. But certainly, those people are living in in the um, in the real world. It's not. Even though I love Charlene Harris, Charlene Harris has some of the similar kind of plot devices, but clearly set in a in a different reality than most of us yeah. live in. So it's not that approach. It's more the emphasis on setting the ability against a normal in a normal existence well very interesting um 
like uh, Jody said, um, best of luck with Snakes and Ladders and all your other varied projects. Uh, my husband and I just ordered. We just got our copy of Snakes and Ladders, but he snatched it away before I could begin <laughs> to read it. So he, he's Good a big you. Lizzie Ballard fan, so you should expect <laughs> to get a review soon from him. But you thanks, better get Maddie, his for joining us today. It is my pleasure. Thank you so much. And a reminder to all you readers, our books are available at Sunbury Press's online bookstore, Amazon, Barnes & Nobles, and other online retailers and bookstores, too. And a special thanks to all of you out there listening to the Milford House Mysteries. We hope you enjoyed our program. Our next program on Thursday, July 19th, Sherry and I will present a program on the elements of suspense. So join us for tips on keeping the readers turning the pages if you're a writer or if you're a reader on doing the same thing. In the meantime, you can follow us on social media. I'm on the web at www.sherrynolton.com, um, plus Facebook and Twitter. And I'm on facebook.com backslash Carlisle Crime Cases by J.M. West. And I have a brand-new website. Check it out at carlislecrimecases.com. Until next time. See ya.